Chapter Six, Section Two of *The Promise of American Life* by Herbert Crowley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. Chapter Six, Section Two, The Logic of Reform. The prevailing preconception of the reformers that the existing evils and abuses have been due chiefly to the energy and lack of scruple with which businessmen and politicians have taken advantage of the good but easy-going american and that a general increase of moral energy assisted by some minor legal changes will restore the balance such a conception of the situation is less than half true no doubt the plain people of the united states have been morally indifferent and have allowed unscrupulous special interests to usurp too much power but that is far from being the whole story the unscrupulous energy of the boss or the tainted millionaire is vitally related to the moral indifference of the plain people both of them have been encouraged to believe by the nature of our traditional ideas and institutions that a man could be patriotic without being either public-spirited or disinterested the democratic state has been conceived as a piece of political machinery which existed for the purpose of securing certain individual rights and opportunities the expectation being that the greatest individual happiness would be thereby promoted and one which harmonized with the public interest consequently when the boss and the tainted millionaire took advantage of this situation to secure for themselves an unusually large amount of political and economic power they were putting into practice an idea which traditionally had been entirely respectable and which during the pioneer period had not worked badly on the other hand when the mass of american voters failed to detect the danger of such usurpation until it had gone altogether too far they too were not without warrant for their lethargy and callousness they too in a smaller way had considered the american political and economic system chiefly as a system framed for their individual benefit and it did not seem sportsmanlike to turn and rend their more successful competitors until it were told that the trusts and the bosses were violating the sacred principle of equal rights thus the abuses of which we are complaining are not weeds which have been allowed to spring up from neglect and which can be eradicated by a man with a hoe they are cultivated plants which if not precisely specified in the plan of the american political and economic garden have at least been encouraged by traditional methods of cultivation the fact that this dangerous usurpation of power has been accomplished partly by illegal methods has blinded many reformers to two considerations which have a vital relation to both the theory and the practice of reform violation of the law was not itself partly the result of conflicting and unwise state legislation and for this reason did not seem very heinous either to its perpetrators or to public opinion but even if the law had not been violated similar results would have followed under the traditional american system with the freedom permitted to the individual with the restriction placed on the central authority and with its assumption of a substantial identity between the individual and the public interest under such a system unusually energetic and unscrupulous men were bound to seize a kind and an amount of political and economic power which was not entirely wholesome they had a license to do so and if they had failed to take advantage thereof their failure would have been an indication not of disinterestedness or moral impeccability but of sheer weakness and inefficiency 
how utterly confusing it is consequently to consider reform as equivalent merely to the restoration of the american democracy to a former condition of purity and excellence our earlier political and economic condition was not at its best a fit subject for any great amount of complacency it cannot be restored even if we would and the public interest has nothing to gain by its restoration the usurpation of power by trusts and bosses is more than anything else an expression of a desirable individual initiative and organizing ability which have been allowed to become dangerous and partly corrupt because of the incoherence and the lack of purpose and responsibility in the traditional american political and economic system a purification might well destroy the good with the evil and even if it were successful in eradicating certain abuses would only prepare the way for the outbreak in another form of the tendency towards individual aggrandizement and social classification no amount of moral energy directed merely towards the enforcement of the laws can possibly avail to accomplish any genuine or lasting reform it is the laws themselves which are partly at fault and still more at fault is the group of ideas and traditional practices behind the laws reformers have failed for the most part to reach a correct diagnosis of existing political and economic abuses because they are almost as much the victim of perverted confused and routine habits of political thought as is the ordinary politician they have eschewed the tradition of partisan conformity in reference to controverted political questions but they have not eschewed a still more insidious tradition of conformity the tradition that a patriotic american citizen must not in his political thinking go beyond the formulas consecrated in the sacred american writings they adhere to the stupefying rule that the good fathers of the republic relieved their children from the necessity of vigorous independent or consistent thinking in political matters that it is the duty of their loyal children to repeat the sacred words and then await a miraculous consummation of individual and social prosperity accordingly all the leading reformers begin by piously reiterating certain phrases about equal rights for all and special privileges for none and of government of the people by the people and for the people having in this way proved their fundamental political orthodoxy they proceed to interpret the phrases according to their personal class local and partisan preconceptions and interests they have never stopped to inquire whether the principle of equal rights in its actual embodiment in american institutional and political practice has not been partly responsible for some of the existing abuses whether it is either a safe or sufficient platform for a reforming movement and whether its continued proclamation as the fundamental political principle of a democracy will help or hinder the higher democratic consummation their unquestioning orthodoxy in this respect has made them faithless both to their own personal interest as reformers and to the cause of reform reform exclusively as a moral protest and awakening is condemned to sterility reformers exclusively as moral protestants and purifiers are condemned to misdirected effort to an illiberal puritanism and to personal self-stultification reform must necessarily mean an intellectual as well as a moral challenge and its higher purposes will never be accomplished unless it is accompanied by a masterful and jubilant intellectual awakening all americans whether they are professional politicians or reformer predatory millionaires or common people political philosophers or schoolboys accept the principle of 
equal rights for all, and special privileges for none, as the absolutely sufficient rule of an American democratic political system. The platforms of both parties testify on its behalf. Corporation lawyers and their clients appear frequently to believe in it. Tammany offers tribute to it during every local political campaign in New York. A Democratic senator, in the intervals between his votes for increased duties on the products of his state, declares it to be the summary of all political wisdom. The fact that Mr. Bryan incorporates it in most of his speeches does not prevent Mr. Hearst from keeping it standing in type for the purpose of showing how very American the American can be. The fact that Mr. Hearst has appropriated it with the American flag as belonging peculiarly to himself has not prevented Mr. Roosevelt from explaining the whole of his policy of reform as, at the bottom, an attempt to restore a square deal, that is, a condition of equal rights and non-existing privileges. More radical reformers find the same principle equally useful for their own purposes. Mr. Frederick C. Howe, in his Hope of Democracy, bases an elaborate scheme of municipal socialism exclusively upon it. Mr. William Smith, in his Constructive Democracy, finds warrant in the same principle for the immediate purchase by the central government of the railway and trust franchises. Mr. Henry George, Jr., in his Menace of Privilege, asserts that the plain American citizen can never enjoy equal rights as long as land, mines, railroad rights of way and terminals, and the like, remain in the hands of private owners. The collectivist socialists are no less certain that the institution of private property necessarily gives some men an unjust advantage over others. There is no extreme of radicalism or conservatism, of individualism or socialism, of republicanism or democracy, which does not rest its argument on this one consummate principle. In this respect, the good American finds himself in a situation similar to that with which he was confronted before the Civil War. At that time, also, abolitionist and slaveholder, Republican and pioneer Democrat, each of them declared himself to be the interpreter of the true democratic doctrine, and no substantial progress could be made towards the settlement of the question until public opinion had been instructed as to the real meaning of democracy in relation to the double-headed problem of slavery and states' rights. It required the utmost intellectual courage and ability to emancipate the conception of democracy from the illusions and confusions of thought which enabled Davis, Douglas, and Garrison all to pose as impeccable Democrats. And at the present time, reformers need to devote as much ability and more courage to the task of framing a fitting creed for a reformed and reforming American democracy. The political lessons of the anti-slavery and states' rights discussions may not be of much obvious assistance in thinking out such a creed, but they should at least help the reformers to understand the methods whereby the purposes of a reformed democracy can be achieved. No progress was made towards the solution of the slavery question until the question itself was admitted to be national in scope, and its solution a national responsibility. No substantial progress had been made in the direction of reform until it began to be understood that here, also, a national responsibility existed, which demanded an exercise of the powers of the central government. Reform is both meaningless and powerless unless the Jeffersonian principle of non-interference is abandoned. The experience of the last generation plainly shows that the American economic and social system cannot be allowed to take care of itself, 
and that the automatic harmony of the individual and the public interest which is the essence of the jeffersonian democratic creed has proved to be an illusion interference with the natural course of individual and popular action there must be in the public interest and such interference must at least be sufficient to accomplish its purposes the house of the american democracy is again by way of being divided against itself because the national interest has not been consistently asserted as against special and local interests and again also it can be reunited only by being partly reconstructed on better foundations if reform does not and cannot mean restoration it is bound to mean reconstruction the reformers have come partly to realize that the jeffersonian policy of drift must be abandoned they no longer expect the american ship of state by virtue of its own righteous framework to sail away to a safe harbor in the promised land they understand that there must be a vigorous and conscious assertion of the public as opposed to private and special interests and that the american people must to a greater extent than they have in the past subordinate the latter to the former they behave as if the american ship of state will hereafter require careful steering and a turn or two at the wheel has given them some idea of the course they must set on the other hand even the best of them have not learned the name of its ultimate destination the full difficulties of the navigation or the stern discipline which may eventually be imposed upon the ship's crew they do not realize that is how thoroughly jeffersonian individualism must be abandoned for the benefit of a genuinely individual and social consummation and they do not realize how dangerous and fallacious a chart their cherished principle of equal rights may well become in reviving the practice of vigorous national action for the achievement of a national purpose the better reformers have if they only knew it been looking in the direction of a much more trustworthy and serviceable political principle the assumption of such a responsibility implies the rejection of a large part of the jeffersonian creed and a renewed attempt to establish in its place the popularity of its hamiltonian rival on the other hand it involves no less surely the transformation of hamiltonianism into a thoroughly democratic political principle none of these inferences have however as yet been generally drawn and no leading reformer has sought to give reform its necessary foundation of positive political principle only a very innocent person will expect reformers to be convinced of such a novel notion of reform by mere assertion no matter how emphatic or by argument no matter how conclusive but if as i have said reform actually implies a criticism of traditional american ideas and a more responsible and more positive conception of democracy these implications will necessarily be revealed in the future history of the reforming agitation the reformers who understand will be assisted by the logic of events whereas those who cannot and will not understand will be thwarted by the logic of events gradually it may be anticipated reformers who dare to criticize and who are not afraid to reconstruct will be simply distinguished from reformers who believe reform to be a species of higher conservatism the latter will be forced where they belong into the ranks of the supporters and beneficiaries of the existing system and the party of genuine reform will be strengthened by their departure on the other hand the sincere and thoroughgoing reformers can hardly avoid a division into two divergent groups one of these groups will stick faithfully to the principle of equal rights and to the spirit of the true jeffersonian faith 
it will seek further to undermine the representative character of american institutions to deprive official leadership of any genuine responsibility and to cultivate individualism at the expense of individual and national integrity the second group on the other hand may learn from experience that the principle of equal rights is a dangerous weapon in the hands of factious and merely revolutionary agitators and even that such a principle is only a partial and poverty-stricken statement of the purpose of a democratic polity the logic of its purposes will compel it to favor the principle of responsible representative government and it will seek to forge institutions which will endow responsible political government with renewed life above all it may discover that the attempt to unite hamiltonian principle of national political responsibility and efficiency with a frank democratic purpose will give a new meaning to the hamiltonian system of political ideas and a new power to democracy End of chapter 6, section 2.